1: Thank you, Scott. And welcome to The Exchange, everyone. I'm Kelly Evans. Once again, this hour, we're seeing some of the worst market action just like yesterday. So call it an early morning head fake. But stocks are erasing all of the gains we saw pre-market today. Forget about the rebound from yesterday's thousand point drop. Now we're down nearly 500 points again. This on the back of that big down day for the Dow yesterday. Now coronavirus fears are intensifying. And now the big headlines today come from the CDC saying this epidemic is rapidly evolving and expanding and that Americans should prepare for it. Let's get right to Bob Asani before we dig into that. He's got the numbers for us at the New York Stock Exchange. Bob.
2: And Kelly, essentially at the lows for the day, just off it, right across the board, S&P, NASDAQ, Dow Industrials, Transports, all of them sitting essentially at the lows. I want to show you a a two-day chart of the S&P because there's an old saying down here, when you don't know what the fundamentals are, trade on the technicals. That horizontal line, that's the lows of yesterday. And as soon as we pass the lows of yesterday, a little after 10 o'clock Eastern time, market droop, volume picked up. Those are people not sure where the market's going on fundamentals. You trade on technicals, very established pattern. In terms of sectors here, credit cards week today, MasterCard, one of the latest companies to warn on sales and profit forecasts on coronavirus down, Visa down, American Express Dow components all down. Dow movers outside of that, well, that's surprising. Industrials and energy stocks, those are, again, one of the most exposed to the global economy. So you see Exxon week 3M Boeing to the downside. Uh, banks, no help here. Four-year lows on yields on the 10-year. And a lot of those big banks there that you're looking at are now in correction territory, down 10 percent or more from their 52-week high. Kelly, back to you.
1: Thanks very much, Bob Bassani. We now have the uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average down about 523 points at session lows. Let's drill down a little bit more on this sudden sell-off. With me now are Steve Whiting, Chief Investment Strategist at Citi Private Bank, Jason Brady, CEO and President at Thornburg Investment Management, and Michael Schumacher is Global Head of Rate Strategy and Managing Director at Wells Fargo. And (laughs) would everybody... Steve, what would you even draw attention to? The stock market today? The bond market? Mr. Schumacher's specialty? I mean, what's the big headline for you?
3: Well, both. Look, what has happened over the last few days has been a pretty rapid spread in the coronavirus outside of China. 2,900 cases is pretty much where China was at the end of January. In Italy, going from three to something like 300 over the course of a few days really does suggest that what was likely to be a regional shock is could be one that's more global
1: but here's the here's what I don't understand we knew this was a risk did anybody think this was not going to escape China
3: it absolutely was a risk it was not priced as something that was going to involve a global a global shock now let's be clear here that all of the things that we do is precautions to keep people safe that is actually what is holding things back that if you have holding travel, economic activity exactly. back absolutely and it will have a very big effect We are not going to have the economy that we thought at the start of the year. We were rebounding from a trade shock. Uh, But travel, tourism, uh, supply chains, getting products from factories to consumers, these sorts of things will be interrupted, particularly if we see this move across multiple regions and that was not what was priced into markets
1: and jason brady you now have the cdc basically saying to americans we should explore work from home plans check in with our schools and daycares look at telemedicine options again this was part of their weekly briefing so they're just responding to questions that are that are naturally coming up but if that's true then how much more of a hit are we talking uh to gdp and are you supposed to just ride it out in the stock market or, or what should investors do
4: Look, the challenge with markets today is that uh, valuations are not particularly supportive. And high valuations don't mean that we're going to have any kind of crash. It just means that markets are vulnerable. So what you're seeing is an increase in risks. Uh, certainly, the coronavirus is a, is a big increase in risks, potentially, as it comes to the United States. And we see some hotspots here. But I'd also point out that the results from the Democratic uh, primary uh, – Race is is uh, is another risk and sure. another uh, look at additional the market, point Jason, of volatility.
1: The worst performer in the Dow was United Healthcare. I'm pretty sure that wasn't coronavirus. The, you know, when the major health insurer exactly. in the country loses eight percent of its market value, so I guess p- should people then differentiate between stocks that might be have a longer political exposure and ones that should recover more quickly if they're coronavirus related?
4: So look, you know, at Thornburg, we're looking at the long term. What I tell you is that cash flow generative companies trading with an attractive yield, those are interesting. Uh, some of the things that folks believe will be cyclical maybe less cyclical. Uh, J.P. Morgan, which you know, is, is coming out with uh, forecasts for 2020 being more challenging, that's been a, a tough place to be just lately. But banks are going to be less cyclical than they were in 2008. So you've got to look at valuations. You've got to look at fundamentals. I would just say at the market level, uh, valuations are not particularly supportive.
1: Right. No, which was just a way of saying the market's expensive and it's pricey. And with all the risks out there, uh, why mess around? Um, Michael Schumacher, let me bring you in to talk a little bit about what's happening in bond markets because it looks like the 10-year yield could be going below 1.3%. I mean, I have to keep checking it to make sure it hasn't happened already, and that's never happened before. So does that mean going below 1% is next?
5: Hard to put a floor on right now, Kelly. I mean, it's interesting, right? You think about the progression of the virus. I don't think anyone can really handicap it. We're all market people. We're not in infectious disease. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. And yet people are saying, gee, I've got this risk from a business perspective. If yields go lower, it's a real problem. I have to hedge it. It's almost as if people are a little bit indifferent to price or yield at this point. But it's, I want to get back to something Steve commented on a minute ago. Sure. And the bond market was actually pricing a fairly grim scenario a while ago. If we had had this conversation a week ago, the 10-year would have been 150-ish, and people would have said, oh, it's really low. It's already down 40-something basis points on the year, and yet equities were up. Right. So we think bonds maybe were a little bit ahead. Maybe it's because we people in the bond market are just sort of dour. I don't know. could be, but uh, you, you in think, any event, you, think you can't everyone... really pin a floor on it right now.
1: But, but from where you sit, and this is just, again, inherent to you know, how these things work, but you think the stock market, everyone else is catching up, and the bond market we've proven right here, the only thing I'd say to you is, well, the bond market keeps moving its goalposts. Mm-hmm. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, even, even knowing what we did about coronavirus, we were looking at one and a half, 1.6%. Sure. What does one3 tell you?
5: We would say the bond market's been a little bit less wrong, that's all, not the bond market's right. But again, no one can really tell you exactly where it's going. You think about people at the various central banks, is it a monetary policy issue? Probably not. Does that mean the Fed or the ECB comes in? Who knows, maybe. But it's really difficult right now to think about the policy response in addition to the, the rapidly shifting illness or virus. That's well, I'm going to ask handicap. Steve
1: about the Fed in one second. But we actually have a news alert on the two-year yield, uh, the two-year, two-year note, I should say, which was just up for auction. Rick Santelli, how'd that auction go? Really
6: lousy. <laughs> you know, but lousy doesn't necessarily mean that there is this tainted view of U.S. Treasury supply. It means on a day like today... Really, no common sense investor really needs to jump out into an auction when he can go into the secondary market at a time where rates seem really spongy. Details, $40 billion. The first auction, which will end up at $113 billion in total supply, two-year notes. The Dutch auction, yield, 1.188. So a whisker under 119. Far from the lowest auction. We've had much lower yields at a two-year note auction. But this is the lowest yield since November of 2016. Bid to cover, 2.45, well below the 10 auction average. So 2.45 bid to cover and 9.3 on directs. Both lousy. We're both the lowest since December of 18. The only bright spot, and it still was below average, was 46.2 on indirects 49 happens to be 10 auction average that was the weakest since July. So it wasn't a spectacular auction. The low in the one issued market was like one seventeen and a half. So you can see we priced poorly as well. I was in a generous mood. Tomorrow will be fives followed by sevens, but ultimately, auctions will get better. It's just the nervousness in the market affecting today's. Kelly, back to you.
1: Thank you, Rick Santelli. And as I said, Steve Whiting, let's be started with you. Let's close this uh, discussion out with you and and bring it back to what you think the policy responses here might be.
3: Okay. So look, the Fed is not going to cure this, right? But if you think about if markets see impact in the United States, they probably would pull forward Fed easing into the near term. The Fed probably wouldn't fight that and say, well, no, we Uh, can't address this, right? We need to have financial conditions tightened. Ultimately, it's disaster uh, response that, like other natural disasters, that you have something done. This is going to be done in China to help companies that are affected, that are uh, offline, that have lost sales and have weak balance sheets. get them through this. So it's a fiscal response, and it could come to the United States too.
1: Yeah, so the markets are going to push them to respond, the Fed, you think. All right. Gentlemen, thank you all. We'll leave it there today. Steve Whiting, Jason Brady, Michael Schumacher. Thank you so much. Coming up, we will hear from National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow. He'll join us with his take on this market volatility. I'll ask him about a Fed response, among other topics. We'll talk about these falling rates and how the coronavirus could impact our economy. Also, what the administration is preparing for any business disruptions. Plus, as rates continue to plunge, refi applications have more than doubled. The big question now is, can the banks handle the volume, and what will it look like for the housing market? And as you can see on your screen there, the pain continues in the energy market today. Exxon is trading at its lowest level since 2005. Devon and Marathon are at lows since 2016. Schlumberger at 16-year lows. Big, big declines for one of the hardest-hit sectors lately. We'll be right back.
6: This is The Exchange on CNBC.
1: Welcome back to The Exchange with markets selling off for the second straight session. Let's head to Rahel Solomon for a look at what's happening with the semiconductors today. Rahel. Hi,
7: Kelly. And those ship stocks also getting hit hard today. Take a look at the semiconductor ETF, SMH, now trading at correction levels. You can see that's off almost a, a one in, one in five percent So it was a little more than just a week ago on February 14th when it was trading at a 52-week intraday high. NVIDIA, Micron, and Qualcomm all lower by at least 2% the last time I checked. And you can see that Micron, the worst performer among them right now, down about 3.88%. Kelly, I'll send it back to you.
1: All right, Rahel, we'll keep watching that. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Despite the recent collapse we've seen in yields, J.P. Morgan is confident it can meet its previously announced annual targets. Wilfred Frost is live at the company's Investor Day and joins me now with some highlights and headlines. Wilf, no bigger response from J.P. Morgan, a little bit of a surprise.
8: Yeah, Kelly, as you said, uh, yields have collapsed, particularly since January when they issued their full... Uh, year guidance. Nonetheless, no need to cut those targets. CFO Jim Peepsack said, quote, we're not immune to cyclical challenges, but diversification provides ops offsets. And also, that we expect growth mix to provide an offset to the majority of rate pressure in 2020? Was even able to increase guidance for net interest income in Q1 from 14 billion to 14.2 billion, though full-year NII will be lower in 2020 uh, than for 2019, though that was already expected. The main reason for this offset is better funding costs, strong deposit growth, helping to offset that impact of, of lower rates. Now, that theme, though, overall of a tougher year ahead compared to last year was also echoed by Chairman and CEO Jamie Dimon, who said we'll have a much tougher year in 2020 than we had in 2019. He also said they'll have a tougher decade ahead and the past decade, for large part, down to stronger competition now from uh, their rivals. Daniel Pinto, the head of the investment bank, said trading should be up mid-teens year over year. And Jamie Dimon did suggest that fee compression in the trading uh, division probably is past its worst. Now, on the coronavirus... We did get a new advisory, I was managed, uh, managed to confirm from the company. Anyone that's recently re- re- returned from Italy will now have to work at home for the next two weeks. All travel to Italy now needs uh, full further approval and they are evaluating other markets too. The stock has continued to sell off as it was yesterday, down 2% plus uh, again and now down uh, over 7% year to date. Cal? All
1: right. And that's after we heard from Goldman and Deutsche Bank also uh, doing some travel restrictions. So a big response uh, from these global banks. Well, thanks very much. Wilfred Frost with the JP Morgan highlights today. Coming up, how can banks handle the rush of refinancing? Two big retail names report. We'll tell you about how the coronavirus is affecting their results today and how it's affecting global media. Also, Barry Diller is calling Expedia bloated, among other things. We'll talk about it all next, including how they're responding to coronavirus. Plus, a first on CNBC interview with National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow. Markets, coronavirus, the economy—a whole lot to get through with him. You don't want to miss it. And as we head to break, here's a look. There are some of winners on the S&P 500 on this down day. They include HP Inc. with a six and a half percent gain, Regeneron up five percent, and Keysight Technologies up about four percent as well. We're back in two.
6: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers.
1: Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody, and we're at fresh session lows here. Uh, the Dow is down 550 points. That's after yesterday's 1,000-point drop. We were briefly positive overnight in the futures session, but once things opened on Wall Street, we barely hung on to the green for long, and it's continued to get worse as we move throughout the session today. Again, the headlines not helping, especially uh, from the Centers for Disease Control today, and we've got a lot more on what the CDC has said, other authorities, and how other countries and companies are responding. In fact, we've got full-team coverage on every angle of this sell Uh and what coronavirus is doing. Courtney Reagan has the read on retail for us. Diana Olick is looking at whether banks can handle the rush of refis as rates plunge. Seema Modi is tracking the turbulence in the travel space. And Julia Borston has a look at some mayhem for the media industry. So Court, let's start with you. We heard from some big retail names this morning and what did we find?
10: Yeah, you know what, Kelly? Actually, not a lot of ripple effects from the companies we heard from today. So let's go through what we know. Macy's reported a better than expected quarter for earnings, revenue, comparable sales this after giving investors some clues because they gave us both holiday sales and had Investor Day this month. Still, shares are moving lower to the tune of more than 4%. CEO Jeff Gannett expects the current quarter will be the weakest this year as this new three-year strategy takes hold. Coronavirus isn't having a big impact yet, so it's not in Macy's guidance, though Gannett does expect a logjam at Ports down the road once thing get, things get back online and we see more being shipped from China here to the US. Now Home Depot also beat estimates, executive point to a strong economy, healthy US consumer, and a stable housing market. CFO Richard McPhail tells me that the investment strategy is paying off, both for his customers and operationally. And then Home Depot's guidance. Also, like Macy's, does not reflect any coronavirus impact. This is because on the call, CEO Craig Meniere said that while fluid the situation, all current quarter goods from China for Home Depot are either onshore or on their way. So Meniere says, quote, we feel pretty good about that
1: situation. you got to hand it to Brian Nagel. We had this very, anybody who watched the show yesterday, he, he said Home Depot is going to be just fine. His companies aren't seeing much of an impact. But I, I just wonder, Court, now that you have these scary Headlines that all consumers are going to be reading about tonight and tomorrow morning, if that starts to change consumer behavior a little bit more, they're saying look at work from home. You know, look at telemedicine, the kind of stuff that might hurt discretionary demand.
10: I think that's the key, Kelly. It's the discretionary demand and the ripple effect as opposed to how it is truly independently impacting
1: each of these retailers exactly. right now. All right, Courtney, we appreciate it. Courtney Reagan. Now let's turn to mortgage rates, which are falling sharply on the back of the plunge in yields. And the 10-year yield just went to about 1.32%. It's caused a rush to refinance. Can the banks handle it? Diana Olick joins us from Washington. Diana, I guess this is a good problem for them to have.
11: Yeah, absolutely, Kelly. Refinance application volume was already surging last week, but with the latest rate drop, it can only increase. The 30-year fix fell to 3.34 percent yesterday, according to Mortgage News Daily, matching the lowest level in eight years. More than 11 million borrowers can now benefit from a refinance, lowering their rate by at least 75 basis points, that according to Black Knight. Now, the head of consumer banking for Bank of America says the demand is, quote, tremendous, but he says he does not need to hire new staff to handle it. Thanks to technology, 45% of B of A mortgage applicants do the process online.
6: Enables us to give our clients a great service experience, make sure that we're able to close their loans on time and meet surges in demand pretty quickly.
11: Now, demand from buyers has not been as strong, less because of rates and more because of a shortage of homes for sale. Mortgage applications for newly built homes, though, are way up, Kelly.
1: Yeah. And again, Diana, this might be one way the U.S. benefits uh, from everything that's been happening with the plunge in yields and coronavirus scares, but it doesn't help people who can't get access to a home. We spoke yesterday about some of the down payment issues and and housing shortages. How many people can access a three and a half percent down payment for an FHA product?
11: Well, there's no number to put on it, obviously, Kelly, but there are a lot of people who can get three and a half percent from FHA. Bank of America also has its own proprietary low down payment loan options. So it's not impossible by any stretch. It's just that mortgage lending is still pretty tight right now. When we look at the builders, though, they're helping as well, helping people to get mortgages and get into new homes. And the good thing on the builders is they're finally starting to pivot toward that entry level market, the lower priced homes that they stayed
1: away from after the recession. Yeah. And home prices have been reaccelerating since the middle of last year. We know that from the data this morning. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. see if they move further now amid this uh, drop in rates. Diana, we appreciate it. Diana Olick is in Washington. Meantime, online travel giant Expedia is cutting 12 percent of its workforce after a disappointing year in 2019. And now they have coronavirus. Seema Modi is here with more on this for us. Seema.
7: Kelly, Chairman Barry Diller wasting no time in his turnaround. His plans to turn around the struggling online travel operator laying off around 3,000 employees. That's a 500 from the company's brand new Seattle headquarters. The job cuts weren't a surprise to analysts after Diller went off script on the company's earnings call two weeks ago, criticizing the company's culture, saying, quote, Amazon was all work and no life, and at Expedia, it was all life and no work. He also called the company sclerotic and bloated. Diller has been running the business alongside Vice Chairman Peter Kern ever since firing CEO Mark Okerstrom nearly three months ago. The 78-year-old media mogul is known for constantly tweaking his IAC Media portfolio of companies, uh, buying new internet companies while spinning off others. He made his first investment. Kelly in Expedia back in 2001. And now the question is, what are the other changes to come after this sure. layoff?
1: That's a great quote. It was all life and no work. You, you wonder, really
7: went off script. Yeah,
1: how many other uh, Silicon Valley companies might be suffering the same thing? Seema for now, thank you. Seema Modi has the latest on Expedia there. Well, we're now seeing coronavirus' impact on the entertainment industry expand beyond China, where 70,000 theaters are closed. Now it's spreading to Europe. And Julia Borston is tracking that story for us today. Hi, Julia. Kelly, that's right.
12: With over 300 cases of coronavirus reported in Italy, the country has shut down cinemas along with live event venues across five northern regions. That impacts 1,800 screens, which are about half of the country's total. It also impacts AMC, which owns the largest theater chain in Italy. We're also seeing coronavirus impact film productions in Italy. Paramount canceling its big-budget three-week shoot set in Venice for its Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie, And this week is the European film market in Berlin. It's one of the largest marketplaces every year for film rights for foreign territories. Now, a delegation of executives from Chinese film companies are not attending the market, which could dampen international film sales. Now, if coronavirus spreads, all of these issues, from shuttered theaters to canceled production, are likely
1: to spread along with it. Kelly, back over to you. Great point. Hadn't realized that either. Julia, thanks very much. The impact continues to be felt as we track coronavirus worldwide. Let's get to Sue
0: Herrera for the very latest and a CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everyone. Here's what's happening at this hour. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo blasting China over its response to a Wall Street Journal opinion piece that was critical of that country and its response to the coronavirus outbreak.
3: Expelling our journalists exposes once again the government's issue that led to SARS and now the coronavirus, namely censorship. It can have deadly consequences.
0: President Trump wrapping up his visit to India with a state banquet at the presidential palace in New Delhi. Indian President Kovind saying Trump has been, quote, a friend of India in every sense, end quote. And Oregon Ducks basketball star Sabrina Ionescu making history. She is the first player in Division I history, man or woman, to score 2,000 career points, 1,000 assists, and 1,000 rebounds. She also racked up her 26th triple-double also an NCAA record. Congratulations to her. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's a little good news on this down day on Wall Street. Yeah. And they're green, too. We'll take it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Kel, thank back you. to you.
1: We'll see you later. Sue Herrera coming up. A first Sun CNBC interview with National Economic Council director Larry Kudlow. We'll talk markets, yields, coronavirus and much more before we go. Take a look at the airlines today falling again across the board. American Airlines is down more than eight percent. Spirit down six and a half percent. Southwest and United shedding six percent. We're back in two with much more. Welcome back. Stocks are selling off for a fourth straight session on coronavirus fears, adding to the Dow's 1,000-point drop yesterday. We're down about 550 points right now. President Trump trying to reassure markets during a state visit to India, pointing out the U.S. is in good shape to tackle the problem. Joining me first on CNBC to discuss the impact coronavirus will have here is Larry Kudlow. He is director of the National Economic Council. And, Larry, it's good to see you. Welcome. Welcome.
13: Thank you, Kelly. Appreciate it.
1: Let me read uh, the headline from the CDC. Man, Larry, they are going to be leading the news. They already are. Here's how Politico says it. Politico says, Larry, quote, this sounds really, really bad. They quote The New York Times. Americans should brace for the likelihood the coronavirus will spread to communities in the U.S., the CDC warned Tuesday. Dr. Nancy saying it's not so much a question of if this will happen, but a question of when. They're warning Americans for significant disruption to their daily lives, Larry. Larry.
13: Well, look, our public health people, who are spectacular, the best in the world, are preparing for any eventualities. And that's exactly what they should do. They were ahead of the curve on the travel bans. Now they're ahead of the curve insofar as laying out potential emergency plans. That doesn't mean it's going to go into effect. But they're doing exactly what we're doing. We're going to get a supplemental. We've asked for a supplemental. Uh, up on the hill of a couple of billion dollars or so. That's exactly what they were doing. Uh, I I just want to say, though, as far as the U.S. is concerned, when you look at this, I mean, you have a little higher headcount on the infections because of the cruise ship people coming off. We have contained this. We have contained this. I won't say airtight, but pretty close to airtight. We've done a good job in the United States. Hats off to our public health people. And the other generic point, and I hope we'll explore this, Kelly, mm-hmm. is simply this. Th- this is a human tragedy. There's no question, particularly in China, human tragedy with you know thousands of deaths. God, God look over them. Terrible. And that's the worst part of this. The business side and the economic side, uh, I don't think it's going to be an economic tragedy at all. There'll be some stumbles. We're looking at numbers. It's a little iffy. We might have a clearer picture in the next two to three weeks. But at the moment, Kelly, the numbers that we're looking at on all these Federal Reserve, regional ISMs, today's consumer confidence number, right. uh, there's no supply disruptions yet. It right. may be no, out it, there. It, absolutely. I, I don't want to negate it. That, that's I'm why... just saying all, all I can do is look at the numbers. Yeah, The and numbers Larry... are saying... The U.S. is holding up nicely.
1: Right. And that's why I highlight the CDC today. I think this is a turning point. I think up until now, there was very little response in the U.S. other than people buying face masks and buying um, medicine. Now, after these headlines, Larry, you know this is going to change behavior rapidly. And here's my concern. People are going to look at these numbers uh, in which the U.S. gets 74 percent of its acetaminophen from China, 95 percent of its ibuprofen, 80 percent plus of antibiotics from China, you know, a construction worker, neighbor of mine, couldn't get a face mask this morning already. Now that these headlines are out there, all of those shortages are going to get worse, aren't they? And and the economic impact is now going to start to grow.
13: Well, you know, Kelly, I I think you're making a lot of assumptions there, with all due respect. And we will see uh, with respect to supply chains and the availability of uh, pharmaceuticals and other forms of equipment. I I know there are issues there, and I accept that. I think we can deal with those issues at a later time when the emergency passes, as it will. But I'm not at all convinced that we can't get hold of what we need here in the U.S. We have stockpiles. We also have the capacity uh, to produce more in all these areas. Uh, I'm no expert in this, but we've seen some of these uh, biotech companies Uh, Gilead being one of them, uh, probably coming up with a vaccine in a much shorter time than people realize. Uh, Look, I don't want to sound heartless or cruel or anything. This is a human tragedy. It's mostly centered in China. There is contagion elsewhere, Italy, Iran. I think that's what's upset the market. So I understand that.
9: Right. I would say,
13: number one, the, the head of the World Health Organization today, said, let us not overreact. I think that's an important point. Uh, I will make the same point on the economy. That's all I'm capable of doing, Kelly, and Mm I may not be right here. But I will say this. Based on the numbers we know, um, GDP, Atlanta Fed GDP now is 2.6% for Q1. That could change. But that's what we know through February 19th. All these regional Federal Reserve ISM reports, um, they're not hearing chatter about the virus. And there is no evidence yet right. of any supply disruptions. Well, only that a month. could change. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I think but Gold- I can only go on the facts yeah, that what I know. That's Gold- all I can do. I,
1: I think you and I would agree. Goldman's pretty good as an arbiter of this stuff. I mean, I, I think, you know, they've they kind of taken home the blue ribbon the last couple of years on, on their GDP. They've actually been more optimistic than most on the U.S. economy. They're at about a one percent reading for the first quarter. Again, it's not a disaster. It's not 3 percent. Again, we understand that. That goal remains, you know, out there. Um, but as, as the CDC starts talking about and this is a, a literally a direct quote from Dr. Nancy this morning, she says, ask children, schools and daycares about plans for closures or teleschool. Explore possibilities to work remotely. Options for telemedicine. I mean, this is going to change, you know, it, 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 this is going to have an economic impact. There's only a month left of the first quarter. Now this could go into the second quarter, Larry.
13: Well, look. Those are appropriate planning measures by the best public health system on the planet. Absolutely appropriate. Whether they are put into effect, whether they become necessary here remains to be seen. Again, I'll make the point. What we know now, as of today, this is very tightly contained in the U.S. Elsewhere, uh, it's a human, uh, human disaster, as I said before. But right here, we're doing awfully well so far. But I don't mind that our public health people, who are very knowledgeable with vast experience, they are a model for the rest of the world. This is what they should be doing. This is exactly the planning. We did this. We were ahead of the curve uh, on banning flights and so forth. And we will try to remain ahead of the curve to protect American citizens. It's exact. But that does not mean that all this will come to pass. And again, I was just interested in the World Health Organization uh, head who said, let's not overreact to that. I would make the same point on the economic side. The human tragedy side, difficult, mm-hmm. horrible. The economic side, there is no tragedy in the United States. China's going to take an awfully big hit. Now, I was interested to, I'm sure you know this, Um, the IMF came out today, Kristalina came out today and said, yeah, they're going to get slammed in the first quarter, but it could be a V-shaped recession. Mm -hmm. So look at what I'm saying is I, I, in the spirit of trying to stay calm here, take a look at the facts at our hand, see if they work or not. The next few weeks will be very important. I, I just think people should be as calm as possible in assessing this and emergency plans Kelly don't necessarily mean. I understand. They will I'm just saying. That, and you know
1: how the media business works. If the CDC says it today, it's all anyone's going to be talking about tomorrow. So if they're trying to keep people from overreacting, I'm telling you they are now going to contribute to a larger reaction. But let, let me just ask you about this because I really, really like your when I was on
13: when I was on your side of the street. I looked for the same thing. <laughs> right. I understand perfectly well. But I'm just saying again, you know. But let, let, me,
1: let me ask you about something very, very real, very yeah. important
13: and very wise. Uh, uh, yeah. You're right. Contingency plans, but, I'm sorry. but
1: here's the the real activity that that is going to that we have to think about. So you have Japan's economy shrank at a six percent rate because of an ill-advised sales tax increase. China's economy is now effectively a zero for the first quarter. Could be worse. Germany looks pretty bad out there. These are the biggest economies on the globe. Can the U.S. avoid a recession if there's a global one?
13: Yes. Yes, we can. By the way, uh. Your German news is accurate, but that was true before this virus hit. Yeah. In in fact, uh, and let me make this point. My disappointment, and I've said this to you and others before, one of the headwinds we've faced in the last several years is essentially a recession in Europe and indeed the whole G7. Uh, And you're quite right about the Japanese sales tax, which I think was ill-advised. I tried to talk Prime Minister Abe out of it, but I couldn't, shouldn't have done it. They're not growing, they, but they have been not growing for several years before the virus. Now, I'll make a plug. The G7 meeting is coming to the United States. It'll be at Camp David in mid-June. It just so happens that yours truly is going to be the Sherpa, and we are going to devote both days, Kelly, we're going back to the old-time religion such as Reagan and Williamsburg in 1983. We're going to have two days of plenary sessions with the leaders of the Western Alliance and the leading democracies in the world, Kelly. And we are going to talk about, guess what? Where's the growth?
0: Well,
13: Where's I, I, the tax cuts? I, I Where's just hope everybody the deregulation? Comes
1: and not still Where's the, about the currency stability? Absolutely, absolutely. Larry, let me ask you this is a, a major, major headline for your lifetime, okay? In this moment, as you stand here, the 10-year yield has never, ever traded lower. It just hit 1.317%. Please tell us what to think about that, how the Federal Reserve, I mean, you have people on the street whispering about how we might get now a half-point emergency rate cut. Is that warranted? Would that even help?
13: Well, on the rate cuts, um, I'm not hearing that either publicly or privately. We're in, in touch with the Fed people all the time. You know, apart from the virus, Kelly, I have said I wouldn't mind seeing my friends at the Fed be a little bolder in their uh, target rate and their balance sheet. I said that before the virus. Um, That's not related to the virus. Uh, I I don't expect the Fed. I'm not hearing the Fed's going to make any panic moves. Look, the markets, the markets obviously are reflecting a lot of new fears. No question about it. There's a lot of volatility out there. I don't think these are fundamental factors, Kelly. I do not think these are fundamental factors. Now, I believe, number one, the U.S. economy is in very good shape. And I think the recent data support that uh, jobs, incomes, housing. I think I just saw a big housing number that you put on the screen before I came on. Uh, That's really good stuff. Uh, Number two, we have contained this virus very well here in the U.S. and all the emergency planning will add to that. Number three, the virus story is not going to last forever. It's not going to last forever. And that's why I like the World Health Organization saying, let's not overreact. To me, if you're an investor out there and you have a long-term point of view, I would suggest very seriously Taking a look at a market, a stock market that is a lot cheaper than it was a week or two ago. It's cheaper than a it long-term was. Long-term investor,
1: Larry, it's cheaper than it was about ten minutes ago. We're down six hundred points again here. That's a five percent drop in just the last two sessions. I,
13: and I have no. Not I do I have no power over that, I have no control whatsoever, and it's going to do what it's going to do until this thing plays out. But I want to make those points again. You've got a fundamentally strong economy. We've done well containing this in the US. The virus thing will pass. And if you're a long term investor, I think they should look seriously at coming back into buying the market, the stock market for the long run, where the great performance has been. This different, you know, we're talking stocks here. That does not negate the human tragedy, which troubles me enormously and should trouble everybody enormously. But if we're going to talk financial markets, let's talk financial markets. I say this thing uh, will run its course, is what I'm suggesting. And the U.S. is in excellent shape. And I wish our G7 allies would borrow... Some of President Trump's supply side incentive policies on lower taxes and regulations and getting trade barriers down in energy independence. I wish they'd borrow from our playbook because we've been growing and they haven't. And that's the fundamental longer run issue here, long after the virus passes.
1: So one final thing on that front, Larry, which is that the borrowing levels in this country are still very, very high um, disappointingly high. Look, it costs nothing to service the debt right now, uh, but which just makes people worry more about what happens when it is more more expensive to service that debt load. So, you know, you look at, at how cheap things are. You look at the deficits that we're running, you know, in, in part to kind of make some of these reforms happen. Um, how does this all, the timing matters in one sense, which is that the president's up for re-election in the fall, and it looks like he might be running against Bernie Sanders um, or possibly a moderate. But right, right now, Mr. Sanders has a lot of momentum. Um, you know, what? what's the message? You know, what? how how can you kind of get out there and say, you know, are you, are you worried about the timing in terms of the hit to the economy if this now drags into the second quarter, all this coronavirus stuff? Are you looking at maybe a 1% or 2% economy right in the middle of that campaign when the president has been saying, look, what sets me apart from the other party here and from other countries around the globe is higher growth?
13: Well, look, it, um, those are hard questions to answer. Let me just say. You mentioned borrowing costs the pre, uh, the Treasury Department is refinancing and they 're lengthening maturities that 's exactly the right thing to do, uh, like any home buyer with a mortgage if you've got low rates, take advantage of it i don 't see any we 're running five percent of GDP deficits right now, kind of reagan era deficits i don 't think that interferes with growth whatsoever. Uh, what will the impact be in the second half of the year don 't forget Kelly. Um, We've got two big de- uh, trade deals and China in recent weeks. And you just saw an announcement from USTR today. China in recent weeks, I think unexpectedly, has been cutting tariffs and uh, increasing exclusions for a number of consumer goods and other things that they need. That's a plus. Mm. That deal's going to go through. And that means that plus the USMCA deal with Canada and Mexico, you can be looking at a second half export boom in the United States, which will boost economic growth substantially as a consequence of the president's tough trade policies to open markets and stop unfair practices. So that's a counter view. Sure. Uh, I don't China know if it's can, going to be right, all those? but I think we should consider that.
1: Yeah. Larry, you think. Uh, yes, quick, I do. We, that, that, we'll, yes, Will China I do. be able to make all the, the purchases it's promised now that its economy uh, is cratered? Look,
13: I Um, Well, it's cratered in the first quarter. We will see beyond that. Um, Tough forecast to make. Uh, I thought the IMF had it about right when they said it's going to be a V-shaped recovery in China. But we'll see. I understand there's an awful lot of uncertainty. Regarding um, Senator Sanders, who was a um, frequent guest on an old TV show on your network that I happen to host. I've um, I've heard of it, yes. I think he's... (laughs) i think he's a, a you made your start there i think he <laughs> i think he is a, a man to be respected i think he has a lot of backbone but i think his socialist policies will do enormous damage to this economy with or without uh coronavirus uh, i mean i i'm a, i'm staggered the volume of tax increases across the board come on investment capital corporations going to raise middle class taxes on payrolls we know that turning the whole health care system into a socialist government run system, ending fossil fuels, the so-called Green New Deal, universal uh, payouts, whether you work or not for all Americans. This stuff is so far to the left. It does co- uh, amount to socialism. I believe, frankly, the American people will reject it. And one reason they're going to reject it. Is our unemployment rates a rock bottom across the board? You know that. All right. uh, it's the um, bottom half, the bottom 10 percent have done. I mean, here one yeah, of these Larry, President Trump's you, policies you know, this, have done guess the, what? Yep. Rapid growth. Hang on, let's make point. Rapid growth, low unemployment, with less income inequality. Less income inequality. And um I think the Democrats are in complete denial about that. And when, uh, as the facts are made, I don't think that Senator Sanders, who I respect, but I don't think he's going to beat President Trump, frankly. That's just one Indian's view. But there you have
1: it. (laughs) Well, Larry, you've given us so much of your time today. We really appreciate it. Please uh, continue to keep us updated here. Don't forget your old friends here at CNBC, Larry. Thank you so much. (laughs) My pleasure. Larry Kudlow, NEC director. Uh, as we continue to watch the stock market selling off hard today, continuing its slide. We're down 578 points. Let's get to Phil LeBeau for a market flash. What's going on, Phil?
14: Kelly, take a look at the transports. They have now moved into correction territory. Not a surprise, given what we've seen with the airline stocks once again selling off, anywhere between three and five percent. That's the amount of the decline today, depending on what investors are looking at and saying. Look, I think you have greater exposure in terms of international routes, where we might see coronavirus hurt demand and therefore have an impact similar to what we've seen with uh, Asia Pacific as well as China routes for those big three United or you know, U.S. carriers that fly over to that region. Quickly take a look at shares of American Airlines, and we're taking you all the way back to when American Airlines came out of bankruptcy, merged with U.S. Airways, and went public back in December of 2013. Well, when it went public in 2013, it finished that day trading at just over $24 a share. It is now below $24 a share, down another 5%, what, 6% today. Kelly, back to you. It's
1: below its IPO price
14: I'd have to go back and check exactly what the wow. IPO price was that day, but it finished that day at, I think, 2420. So Bill. it's below 24 20 right now.
1: That is remarkable. That certainly puts things in perspective. We appreciate it. Phil LeBeau in Chicago today. You bet. The global coronavirus case count now tops 80,000, and the CDC, like I said, is urging Americans to get prepared for a potential spread here. Meg Terrell has the very latest for us. Hi, Meg.
12: Hey, Kelly. While well, case numbers are not rising in the U.S. currently, except for among Americans evacuated from the Diamond Princess cruise ship, the CDC says it's time to get prepared. In a call with reporters today, CDC's Dr. Nancy Messonnier said it's not a question of if the novel coronavirus will spread through the United States, but when and how many people will have severe disease. She said she spoke with her own children this morning, saying she doesn't think they're at risk right now, but as a family, they need to prepare for significant disruption to their lives. She recommended Americans prepare for potential school closings and investigate the ability to work from home. This, is Health Secretary Alex Azar testified at a Senate hearing today that the U.S. currently has a stockpile of 30 million surgical masks but needs 10 times that many, Kelly.
1: Yeah, and and Meg, as you say that, I I mentioned this, but it's not just the healthcare industry that needs or uses these masks. A neighbor of mine uh, works in construction. You need it to not inhale dangerous substances. Can't get his hands on one. And the whole industry, you look online, they're talking about how there's shortages and price gouging. How quickly can we get a supply up to speed here? It seems like it could take a while.
12: Well, that's definitely the question. And we do hear from companies that they are working on increasing their supply. But this isn't just a U.S. problem. Of course, this is a global issue. Everybody needs personal protective equipment. The World Health Organization is worried about uh, stockpiling and making sure everybody who, who needs it can get it. So it's a problem everywhere.
1: The one other thing is these CDC headlines. And I asked Larry Kudlow a lot about what they said, because I do think they're going to be on the front page of every newspaper, on the cover of every, you know, nightly news report all over. Let's put all over people's smartphones, wherever they get news this, uh, <laughs> these days, Meg. Do you think they're going to not backtrack per se, but want to add some context maybe? So that, are, is there anything they know that we don't at this point, or are they just saying to people, look, obviously the coronavirus is going to spread to the U.S. now, but that's panicking people, I think?
12: Well, it was certainly a ratcheting up of the tone that we've seen. And Dr. Masonia was actually asked directly about that on the call where she made those comments and she said, What they're doing is looking at the spread that we're seeing uh, in other countries like Italy, Iran, South Korea, Japan, and saying, based on that spread, it is very likely we're going to see this here. Dr. Anthony Fauci from the NIH was just on MSNBC and he was asked about the comments too. And he said, the risk right now in the U.S he said almost non-existent, but still, because we see that spread elsewhere, it's inevitable we're going to see it here.
1: Uh, All right, Meg, we appreciate it. Always keeping us posted, Meg Terrell. Uh, We're going to take a break. The health insurers got hard hit yesterday in the sell-off, and there could be more pain ahead, not necessarily on coronavirus, but if there's a Bernie Sanders win, we will explore that uh, for a couple of minutes next. First, take a look at the markets where we are near session lows. We were briefly down more than 600 points after yesterday's 1,000-point drop. The exchange will be right back.
6: Deeper data at CNBC. The January cash Freight index plunged 9.4% from year-ago levels. It was the biggest year-over-year drop in more than a decade and the lowest absolute reading in about three years.
1: Welcome back to The Exchange. As we are near session lows in the market with the Dow down 620 points, uh, and you can see healthcare under pressure from two sides in this sell-off. On the one hand, as we just heard from Meg, there's a surge in coronavirus cases, and on the other, the Sanders surge. Bernie Sanders, as investors are forced to consider the possibility of his nomination after a dominant win in the Nevada caucuses. For more, I'm joined by John Ransom. He's managing director of healthcare equity research at Raymond James. John, you know, when when you have United Health down eight percent in a day, that tells you there's something out there they hadn't previously factored in. What do you think that is?
15: Uh, Good afternoon. We think it's 75% Bernie and 25% coronavirus. Uh, One thing I'd mention, we went back and looked at the last really bad flu season, which was 17 and 18. And if you look at the big four insurers, the medical loss ratio actually went down for two of the four and was only up slightly at United. The only insurer that took a hit was Humana, which has a lot more uh, Medicare Advantage. So if we're worried about widespread loss ratios, inflating, the data doesn't support that.
1: Right, so you're saying basically the 25% worry, which is about coronavirus, is not really justified. So let's talk about the 75%. People have known Bernie sure. Sanders is in the race. They know about Medicare for all. What What's changed?
15: I think the margin of victory in Nevada uh, surprised people. Um, so yeah, I'll give you three quick reasons why we don't think it'll happen. But if it does happen, it's a, it's a nuclear bomb for the industry. So the three reasons it won't happen of Americans are happy with their private insurance. 90% of seniors are happy with Medicare Advantage. Number two, if we paid Medicare rates to U.S. hospitals, uh, most of them would roll up the doors. Medicare margins are minus 11%. Right. Um, number, number three, we've got a million people working in the health insurance industry. I doubt Senator Klobuchar wants to uh, roll the carpets up at United Healthcare in Minneapolis. So, and fourthly, I said three, but fourthly, U.S. <laughs> reps don't want to see hospital closings in their districts. So it, it won't happen. We put the odds at less than 1%. But it's one of those things—a one percent chance of an asteroid is still a one percent chance of an asteroid.
1: Sure, and it—you it, know—it's—it's it's being priced in. Let's say that chance is a little bit higher than, than previously. Let me just ask you this: If the public says the healthcare system is broken, we want a better public option. If nothing else, if we just advance a better public option, what does that mean for stocks like United Healthcare?
15: I think you're spot on. So, if if you look at the reason Obamacare is popular, is because it failed. Uh, Meaning we were supposed to have 25 million or so people on the exchanges. We have less than half that. So employers didn't dump people on the exchanges willy-nilly. Most people kept their private insurance. But I do think people want to know there's something there if Mm -hmm. they lose their jobs. And the exchanges just don't work very well. They work fine for people who get a massive subsidy, but for people who are kind of making maybe more than sixty to 70000 a year, right. I think a public option as a fallback, would it, it, that polls at 70% the last time I looked. So I, I think that's the kind of thing we think is the most likely to happen as a compromise because nobody's really going to go to the mat and say, gosh, these exchange plans are so, wonderful and it's working perfectly.
1: And I'm sorry to keep jumping in. We have less than just a couple seconds left, John, but what would that mean for United UnitedHealthcare uh-huh. if, if that is if that becomes a reality, that public option?
15: Uh, nobody really cares about public, uh, the exchanges except for just a handful of companies like Centene. So it's not, uh, if you look at the insurance companies, they make their money in Medicare Advantage and commercial uh, the, and Medicaid. They, they, the exchanges are a, a footnote at this point.
1: So you'd say it's the Medicaid exposed who are basically the ones who could get hit by that move to right. a, a, a public option.
15: Right. And look, Kelly, I mean, about 10% of the country needs some help at any time, doesn't have insurance. And, and I do think a kind of a Medicare backstop or something like that would probably not cost any more than what we're already spending and would probably be pretty popular.
1: I want to talk more about this. John, please come back. We really appreciate it. All right. John Thank Ransom, you. great stuff. Raymond James, Healthcare Equity Research. That does it for The Exchange today. Thanks for joining me, everyone. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day. Same time.
9: Same place.